From Mediacorp and One Up Media, this is Post Love. Essays on love, life, and everything in between. I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Maybe it's not married. Maybe it's love. I just wanted to let you know that I miss you. And I've only got one man. Love. I've got a hunch I'm never going to feel no other kind of love. I love you. I didn't know I could feel like that. Darling, do you want to know what I think? Love is beyond our control. Two years ago, I stumbled into what I believed was a fairy tale romance. It all began with a simple Instagram DM from a man named Wei Tia, who seemed astonishingly out of my league. He was a tall Chinese guy, radiating charm and confidence. His first message was just a simple, Hi. But it sparked a journey I never expected. I shot back a quick, Hi. Without overthinking. He introduced himself as an investor in alternative assets. I didn't really grasp what that meant. And surprisingly, he didn't elaborate. Instead, our chats revolved around everyday things. My daily life and his. His question seemed so normal at first. Do you live far from work? How's your day going? Tell me about your friends. It all felt so sweet. Genuine even. But as I later discovered, these were calculated questions. Sizing me up for a scheme known as pig butchering. That is, fattening the pig, me, for slaughter. Also me. The truth is, Weitia was subtly assessing my financial status. Yeah, I have a bit of a drive to work. But I've got my car, I told him, revealing I owned the vehicle. My day's been fantastic. Went road biking, indicating I had disposable income for hobbies. My friends are amazing, super non-judgmental, hinting that they wouldn't interfere with his nefarious schemes. Back then, I was blissfully unaware of the trap being set. I answered eagerly, unknowingly setting myself up, just like a pig being fattened for the inevitable. As time went by, our relationship intensified in unexpected ways. We started calling each other baby, exchanged dirty photos, and even planned meetups. But somehow, Every time we were close to meeting, an emergency would conveniently come up for Weitia. It was always something urgent, something unavoidable. That's the hallmark of these scammers, isn't it? They weave a web of intimacy and promises, yet there's always a barrier to real contact, to actually seeing each other face to face. Despite this, I guess I remained blissfully unaware based on how authentic the online connection felt. I remember this one time we ended up in a silly argument over something trivial. Me forgetting to bring an umbrella. Did you take an umbrella? It's pouring like crazy out here. Shoot, I forgot. Was in a hurry. It's just water. I'll manage. 
Just water. You know how you get sick. This is so irresponsible. It's an umbrella, not a life jacket. I'm not a child. That's exactly how you're acting. Last time you were sick for weeks, I had to send you a bird nest drink. I don't need a lecture right now. Don't make it a big deal. It is a big deal. You're always so careless. It's frustrating. I can't believe we're fighting over an umbrella. I have work to do. Fine. Let's see you do well at work while you're sneezing. Wow. Okay. We'll talk later. Then he ignored me. It all felt incredibly real, as if he was right beside me in Singapore, sharing the same weather, the same experiences, perfectly imperfect, like any real person. But it was all a facade. They had weather alerts set up, tracking real-time storms in Singapore to craft their messages with unnerving accuracy. Then came the message that broke the ice after our disagreement. I'm not built for cold wars. It was a simple text, but it was enough to draw me back in. Within three months, I was deeply in love. That's when Weijie's strategy shifted. He suggested we invest money together. Caught up in the romance, I agreed. I sent over an initial two hundred dollars, and was surprised to learn that I was already up ten percent in a matter of days. It felt like a stroke of luck, a quick win that I celebrated with a special meal, thinking I had struck gold. But as my confidence grew, so did the investment size, to the point where I found myself putting in seventy thousand dollars, dreaming of significant returns. And then, in an instant, both my money and Weijie were gone. Heartbreak is one thing, but losing seventy thousand dollars on top of it—it's an entirely different kind of pain. You feel all sorts of synonyms for stupid, each one hitting harder than the last, and it starts to seep into every aspect of your life. Work, conversations, your very sense of self. Yet, in a twisted way, this was the making of my own superhero story. After weeks of anguish, I started connecting with other victims. We realized the scam's pattern. They let you withdraw small amounts initially, making you taste success. Before convincing you to invest heavily, that's when it hit me. What if I flipped the script? What if, after drawing out my money, I vanished, just like Weijie? I was determined to reclaim my lost seventy thousand dollars to compensate for the countless hours and emotional turmoil, and I was going to do it with interest. I started combing through Instagram for the ideal mark, 
a man dangerously out of my league. Flaunting wealth, but not an influencer. Someone with just a handful of followers. Someone very much like Wei Jie. Hi. I typed out a message. Hi. Came the reply. You might wonder how I could be so sure who the real scammers were. The truth is, I couldn't. Not until they suggested investing. And this new guy, Tian Wei, took less than two weeks to get there. Nonetheless, I gave Tian Wei just enough to see me as an easy mark. I'm a recently divorced mother, eager to find love again. Desperate even. When he first asked me to invest $300, it felt like my heart stopped. The trauma of losing $70,000 was still fresh, and doubts crept in. Was I smart enough to outwit them after they had taken so much from me? I decided to take the risk and invested the $300. A week later, I earned $30. Why, thank you, Tianwei. Now, bye-bye. I withdrew my money and blocked him for good. I had discovered a way to turn the tables on these scammers. As I refined my approach, I realized using my actual Instagram account was too risky. So I created several fake accounts. I noticed that posing as a wealthy, recently divorced woman or Tai Tai was particularly effective. I even hinted at a substantial minimum investment, which I increased as I became more adept at the game. At one point, I invested $10,000, hinting at a willingness to invest half of my non-existent inheritance if the returns were good. That night, I walked away $1,000 richer, my imaginary inheritance intact. I was on a roll. About a year into my reverse revenge scam, I was out with my friends for dinner when I decided to share about my newfound hobby. So that's how I got $1,000 richer in one night, I declared with a mix of pride and triumph. Around the table, my friends exchanged uneasy glances. Their expressions a blend of worry and skepticism. One leaned forward, eyebrows furrowed. Is this why you've been missing our last few meetups? We thought you were taking time to heal after everything that happened. Yeah, I was. And I did. But... Another chimed in. Isn't this a bit extreme? I mean, it's great that you're getting back at the scammers, but at what cost? This doesn't sound like the you we know. I took a deep breath, trying to formulate a response that would alleviate their concerns. I appreciate the worry. I really do. But I've got this under control. I'm careful and I never use my real details. But still, the second friend added, we just don't want to see you get hurt. 
I was. Maybe there's a safer way to use your experience to help others. It's just a game of wits. I'm just reclaiming what I lost. And then what? A friend probed, voice etched with concern. What happens when you've made it all back? Locking eyes with them, I declared. Then I stopped. But I never did. Even after making back the initial 70,000 that I lost, I continued. To me, it wasn't just about my revenge anymore. It was a crusade against all scammers, outsmarting them at their own game, perhaps even deterring them from ever scamming again. This mission was all-consuming but important. I found myself dedicating an extra hour or two every night to this cause. My friends, perhaps feeling a tinge of guilt for not preventing my initial fall, offered advice, hoping to be the voice of reason if I ever lost my way. I understood their concerns, but I was convinced I was in control. That belief held strong, until an unexpected... Hi. ...popped up. This time, however, I recognised the name. Happy 30th birthday, came the follow-up. Is that really you, T? Yeah, it's me. How have you been? I hesitated. This felt too... out of the blue. My scam radar went off. Time for a little detective work. By now, I was an expert. Reverse image searching, buying his contact info online, messaging his other social accounts to confirm. Yeah, that's me. Why so paranoid? (laughs) I chuckled. Paranoid? Me? Yet I couldn't shake the feeling this might be another scam. The accusation of paranoia, a classic scammer tactic called gaslighting. Erring on the side of caution, I kept my distance. Weeks later, another friend reached out. This time, inquiring about T. It turned out T was rekindling a silly pact we made back in university. Our so-called marriage contract. You know, one of those, if we're still single at 30, let's get together pacts. As my friend unraveled T's intention, a stark realisation hit me. My paranoia was deep-seated. Hearing this story spun by a trusted friend, it still rang like a scam to me. It mirrored the classic seesaw technique, where one plays the decoy while the other gains trust. But these were my actual friends, people I've known for years people I trusted, and maybe once upon a time, even considered something more. This revelation jolted me. It was a harsh reminder of my past scam experience. How frighteningly similar the conversations with a friend and a scammer can be, blurring reality with deception. For two long years, I'd immersed myself in the world of revenge scamming, forgetting that the same questions, when posed by a true friend, 
carry a different, genuine significance. Come to think of it, ever since I was scammed, I not only stayed single, but had also become somewhat of a recluse. I stood in my thoughts for a moment, finding myself at somewhat of a crossroads. Hadn't I done enough? Hadn't I already gotten back what they took from me? Why was I still playing this stupid game? For the first time since my incident with Wei Jie, I allowed myself to be vulnerable. I'd been so blinded by revenge that I ended up more stuck in the scamming world than I had ever been. Ditching friends, falling behind at work, spending nearly all of my free time playing Instagram Batman. I don't know where the descent began, but I knew it was time to stop. It was time to step back into the real world. I discarded my burner identities and donated half of my earnings from the past two years to a women's group dedicated to helping scam victims. Then, I withdrew an extra $200 and invited my friends out for a meal. It was the least I could do after vanishing from their lives. Over dinner, amidst familiar banter, I owned up. They were spot on. I had lost myself along the way. Then I saved the rest. Well, almost the rest. I kept some for a date with T. Finally getting to go on a date that Weidia never gave. If you ever find yourself in a position where you may possibly be in a love scam, don't be afraid to seek help or advice. A helpful organization is GASO, the Global Anti-Scam Organization. They are contactable and are able to provide assistance if you need help. Their link is in our description. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Post Love, brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. If you would like to share some feedback or share your own stories, drop us an email. Our email is found in the description. This episode is produced by Guang Jin, script by RC, edited by Alex, audio experience by Ethan Sam, additional engineering by Ashley from OneUp Media, voiced by Gloria. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Post Love.